we decided to write a book about Father McGivney. On one hand, the man who had founded the largest Catholic men's fraternal organization in the world, and on the other, just as important, the most unassuming of Catholic clerics. In other words, we decided to write a McGivney biography largely because he was just a parish priest. Too often, American Catholic history focuses on the church hierarchy, much as general history focuses too often on royalty and presidents. Over the years, grand biographies have been written about famous bishops and cardinals. That's fine, but the heart of Catholicism in the United States lies with the parish priests, who become so much a part of their parishioners' regular lives. They celebrate Mass, baptize infants, visit the sick and dying, and preside at weddings and funerals. It's the parish priest to whom many of America's 65 million Catholics turn in times of personal crisis or if poverty strikes a family. They serve on the level of one human helping another. By writing about Father McGivney, we're embracing that very obscurity and so honoring all parish priests, or more than that, seeking to understand their calling just a little bit more clearly. Too often their stories, if they're told at all, are buried in parish newsletters and local newspapers. Worse, due to those who are guilty of unconscionable crimes, parish priests in general have been smeared in the popular imagination. We hope an account of McGivney's life will help to instigate fresh thinking on the priesthood and its manifest potential. Taking on a serious biography of a parish priest was fraught with obstacles. Few of Father McGivney's letters have survived, and he didn't keep a diary. He died when he was only 38 years old. The paper trail was thin, but there was some encouraging news. The Knights of Columbus, headquartered in New Haven, just blocks from Yale University, kept detailed records on the early years of their organization. For years, the Order had sought material related to Father McGivney, a process that has, if anything, gained momentum in recent years. Because Father McGivney is being considered for sainthood, Father Gabriel O'Donnell, postulator of his cause, has traveled widely in search of source material on the life of Michael McGivney. While all of this primary and secondary source material was useful, we found McGivney's church records in particular extremely important in recounting the life and times of the hardworking priest. The bulk of the research, however, came with our perusal of every available local periodical for the span 1878 to 1890, McGivney's working years. The final list included 14 papers, most notably the New Haven Union and the Connecticut Catholic. We found these many periodicals at Yale University's Sterling Memorial Library and at the Connecticut Historical Society in Hartford. Court records and other contemporary material filled in the gaps. Calm, mild-mannered, and dutiful, Father McGivney was known in Catholic circles around New England as a pure-hearted reformer. There was, by all accounts, something both stoic and angelic about his nature. One of his goals was the promulgation of insurance for Catholics in the working classes. With that as a primary motivation, the Knights of Columbus was founded. Ever since Father McGivney created the group in the basement of St. Mary's Church on Hill House Avenue in New Haven, the Knights of Columbus have flourished. Only time will tell whether Father McGivney becomes the first American parish priest to achieve sainthood. His cause has already fulfilled some of the requirements. McGivney has been deceased for over five years, of course, and is the cause of popular devotions. 
A miracle is necessary in order to achieve beatification, and the advocates of Father McGivney's cause could wait decades for that to happen, Francis Chamberlain wrote in the New York Times. However, there have already been some claims of miracles which are being investigated. Canonization, the next step, is recognition that this person is in heaven and can be called a saint. Another miracle is essential to move from beatification to canonization. Once the miracle is investigated and found to be true, the Pope can declare that person a saint. It is not our purpose as historians to weigh in on whether Father Michael J. McGivney deserves sainthood. That's best left in the hands of the Roman Catholic Church. What we do know, however, is that McGivney has a place even beyond Catholic history. The day is not far off when books of general American history will carry his name in the index, with space devoted to his influence over the development of American values and character. A biography of this Connecticut man, this parish priest, has long been overdue. Douglas Brinkley, New Orleans, Louisiana. Julie Fenster, DeWitt, New York. 1. A Friend of the Family Not that the state of Connecticut had anything against Catholics in the early 1800s, but they weren't allowed to purchase land. If the issue was pressed, then special dispensation might be granted, but only through an act of the legislature. All the while, Catholics were expected to join with most of the rest of the populace in paying a tax for the support of the Congregational Church, the state's official religion at the time. Episcopals, Baptists, and Quakers were all exempted, but not Catholics. It was no wonder that Connecticut, with almost 300,000 residents, counted its Catholic population in the dozens. Yet none of that stopped Michael and Bridget Downs from moving there. Their previous homeland was far worse for Catholics and little better for Protestants. Ireland in the 19th century was a land of enforced poverty, where few farmers owned their own acreage, and the landlords, most of them living in England or on the European continent, choked out all hope of improvement by charging unreasonably high rents. The Times of London, a conservative newspaper that traditionally spared little sympathy for the Irish, sent a correspondent to County Donegal and received a description of a typical rural landscape. From one end of the landlord's estate here to the other, nothing is to be found but poverty, misery, wretched cultivation, and infinite subdivision of land. There are no gentry, no middle class. All are poor, wretchedly poor. Every shilling the tenants can raise from their half-cultivated land is paid in rent, whilst the people subsist for the most part on potatoes and water. Even before the potato blight of 1845 led to the Great Famine, alert Irishmen were facing such facts and the sad impossibility of being Irish. The conviction that the country held no future existed as early as 1815, William Forbes Adams wrote in his classic history, Ireland and Irish Immigration to the New World. The Downs family escaped early on, sailing for America with their young son in 1827, their specific destination was the state of Connecticut, where a few of their old neighbors had settled already. For more than a dozen years, Michael Downs, known as Mikey, was a common laborer, probably finding work building canals or railroads, as did most of his countrymen. 
1832, he and Bridget moved to New Haven. By no coincidence, the city's first Roman Catholic congregation was established there the same year, serving about 300 people. It would be in keeping with the devout Downs family to settle within the embrace of a parish once that option was available. In another respect, too, New Haven was ripe territory for people such as the Downses. Mikey and Bridget were dedicated to reading and education. New Haven, a manufacturing town and an active port, was influenced most of all by Yale University. Founded in 1701 as a rather rigid Puritan institution, Yale would loosen up considerably in the 19th century, combining high academic standards with a rebellious spirit. The campus took up one whole side of the flat, grassy green that formed the hub of New Haven life. Rising tall like a citadel in fieldstone, Yale took little notice of New Haven's latest family of Irish immigrants. The Downses were just a working-class couple, trailing three young sons, William, Edward, and John, as they walked along the green and looked up at the great university. Mikey Downs started work in New Haven as a news hawk, selling one New Haven paper or another on the street. The work suited him, and a short time later he was a full-time news dealer, said to be the city's very first, stocking an array of New Haven and New York papers at a corner kiosk. It was a major accomplishment for him at the time, but he wasn't through. Like most of his countrymen, disenchanted with farming as they had known it in Ireland, he regarded storekeeping as the province of truly unlimited opportunity. Only about 1% of first-generation Irish immigrants managed to fulfill the dream of opening a shop. Downs joined their ranks in the early 1840s when he rented a space at the prime corner of church and...